This movie sucks. I can do things. Mama says I can edit a podcast. Mama says I like I did a podcast. It takes a long time and you die at the end. It felt weird being back at the movie theater again. Yeah. It, it was, uh, well, similar to the, to the experience I had going to movie theater before, being as there was nobody in it. Mm-hmm. Which is usually like, what I what I see it's like the only time there's ever people in a theater is when we go to like one of those theaters that sells alcohol. What was the last movie that you saw in theaters before this? Was it The Lodge or something? Or yeah, yeah, it was a lot. It was The Lodge. It was the poor attempt at making art, and it was it was it was boring and and pretty movie, very pretty movie, but a slow burning movie that went nowhere, and kind of like this year <laughs> yeah it was sort of uh, uh, a bit of an allegory of this entire year which was just a slow burning into nothingness um you know which you could extend that over your entire life and live by that sure wow uh sorry holy, to holy shit sorry to sound so so much my like a brain is boiling inside my own skull right now my eyes are are glazed over. I I feel like I just sat through like a sensory deprivation session for like what felt like four and a half hours at least. Yeah, we just went into we just went to go see Tenet. Just got back from it. Yeah, and um, what an experience! What what a, what a movie you know experience with the popcorn and the and the Coca Cola there. Just getting your ears blown out and your your brain turned into spaghetti and just feeling like you feeling and wishing for death uh the entire time <laughs> drifting in and out of sleep uh this i i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i i i didn't like fall asleep but you know like when you are you know like when sometimes maybe at night you kind of fall into that half awake half asleep state you know where you definitely lose consciousness for a second but not you don't go full into sleep you just kind of like super zone out and then you sort of snap into it or snap back awake this this happened like multiple times like involuntarily where i was just i was trying to watch the movie but it was so eye searingly bad and so boring at times that it, it hypnotized me and I, I'm pretty sure it, it knocked me out a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was the first major release since the theater started opening back up this year. I believe it was supposed to come no, out. It was supposed to be the movie that was going to save the theaters. Yeah, that was it. This was supposed to be the film that was going to swoop in and save all the theaters and, and, Nolan, everybody else was taking their films and, and taking their movies and they were putting them on streaming during the quarantine and just making people pay like, oh, you want to watch uh, fucking Lion King or was it Mulan? Like, mm-hmm. You want to watch Mulan? It's like you can you can rent it on streaming for like 20 bucks. That was their uh, 
their solution to the whole problem, which I'm actually for. I don't know about you, but I'm actually for just uh, closing down every theater in the United States, replacing them with like a food bank or uh, or like a like a Costco or something like that. And then just having all your movies on streaming. I think that we should have options. I, I want I want both because I like going to the movie theater myself, actually. If they got booze there, because when we go to Cinnabar, I'm cool with that. We can still have the Cinnabars. Sure. That's fine. Because you, you can get a shitty cheeseburger and, uh, and uh, a super overpriced pitcher of beer. But at least you have those things. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter how shitty the movie is. You can still... You can still get drunk. Yeah, you can still get sloshed and shove greasy food into your face and then that makes it okay that's a good night you know that's what i was doing that's what we were doing during 1917 yeah i think i drank a whole pitcher that oh we had to we had to uh it got to the point where i think that was the only thing i was really focused on the entire second half of the film was just how low the pitcher was getting and if we needed another one soon yeah (laughs) but anyways uh welcome to a very special edition of the hacksaw podcast i am everett and i'm jordan and we are going to be giving our first impressions on christopher nolan's magnum opus tenet right we talked about that a little bit in our very first episode which i think we actually recorded back in april or may of this year yeah and at that point, Tenet was due to come out in June or July. It got delayed quite a bit, of course. And then it finally came out, I think, late August, uh, at least in some parts of the world. And then it's been recently opened up in some theaters around where we live in Washington State. So I I just figured, well, we got to go see it. Uh, you it can't was like, stream we it anywhere. Like, we were so. like, it's it's more. It was more like of a, a professional obligation to see this film. Way more than a personal one. Well, we wanted to get current because Dunkirk came out a few years ago now. Yeah. So we got to stay on top of things. We got to have our we got to have our finger on the wire or whatever that is. You yeah, know? we got to keep up with what Mister Farty Pants is fucking putting out of, of late. Yeah, and this was supposed to be the biggest movie of the year, and it just got released to a resounding meh. It was uh, it was definitely long, if, if big means long. It was long. Not quite as long as what some... I feel like other movies insist upon themselves to be longer, but this felt like, because of the content, it just fucking dragged. Um, there... Uh, I'm kind of in a place, Jordan, where like I really don't know where to begin because we're kind of doing this episode off the cuff. We're not really doing. We're, we're just. This is just our first impressions. So, Jordan, why don't you give me your the first thing that comes in your head when you think about Tenant? Noise. I yeah. Okay. So let's start there. Let's start uh, this sound mixing. And some people may not give a shit about sound mixing as much, but when it's to this level of, I'd say, arrogance, for one thing, and just poor attention to detail. It just completely shows. I was, I was like, my ears were, like, actually hurting halfway through this, this film. And 
you know, Jordan and I, like, we go to, we go, we see bands, we go to shows, we play music together without earplugs. We, we, in tiny rooms with our volume cranked all the way up. And I was having, it was, that's how bad it was. Like, I would, it was worse than going and seeing like a metal band live. It was, it was louder than that. Mm -hmm. And some people, you might be thinking off, off the, uh, you know, off the cuff there, you might be thinking, that sounds awesome. You know, something loud, loud things are sweet. But this is not the good type of loud. This is not the rock and awesome type of loud. This is like every single sound is just this clipping, peaking, just blown out, completely over compressed, just in your ear, causing tinnitus like throughout the entire film. Yeah. It was hard for me to focus on anything happening because the soundtrack and the overall sound mixing and the editing was so was just so unbearably loud the whole time and just so just yeah, everything's just maximized. There was no use of like silence or anything really. Uh, there was no like negative space in terms of like the sound the soundscape. Um, he doesn't really he didn't really utilize any of that. What I did notice is that what was nice about the sound being loud is that as I would occasionally drift into a weird like sleep paralysis, the the loud gunshots or the bangs or whatever like that would kind of snap me back awake, you know? So I was like, oh, oh, oh. so like in the middle when it was, you know, when it was getting really fucking boring because this movie is, is, is just chunks of really boring, repetitive, uninteresting expositional dialogue bookended with different scenes of loud bangs. Mm -hmm. And, and it just kind of goes on and on like that forever and ever and ever and ever. I'm trying to think about beyond just the noise of this film. I'm just trying to think about what, how would you say, what would you say this movie is about? Like, I was I was gonna why? say I was gonna go into something like that. We're not gonna break down the plot because we can't. I don't know how. I don't yeah. know how to break down the plot, and this is not in a good way. If this movie is not like so. It's like whoa, man! It's so complicated. You got you just gotta understand. This is like you know, it's all the different timelines. You mean it's like I I I don't think this movie is the type of movie that's like somebody's gonna make a fucking chart. I mean, somebody will, but like it's not like the movie Primer we were talking about a little bit earlier where if you haven't seen primer, it's a fantastic science fiction film that has to do with time travel. Uh, tenant has to do with time travel. I, I, I think it's kind of like time travel, but it's a little bit different. It's a form of time. It's travel. a form of time travel. Yeah. But primer deals with it in a way where it's like, I think when we were talking about earlier, what, what I said was um, that the process of which, the time travel is laid out in that movie because the primer is just about two scientists, like student kids who just kind of inventive time traveling machine. Mm -hmm. And the movie is about them figuring out what they had actually had invented and, and, and them using it. And then how many, how many times they use it, they keep creating these kind of different timelines and things kind of go crazy they create too many of them and they kind of go crazy. That's sort of primer in a nutshell, but it has all these other different aspects to it where you may be looking at one timeline and one scene, but in the next scene, it could be a completely different timeline because it's always the same two characters. Mm -hmm. Now, this is interesting to me because 
the way it's presented is that it doesn't tell you a whole lot about how the machine works. It doesn't tell you a whole lot about um, kind of what they're really trying to accomplish. But it, it, with the atmosphere and the tone and the way in which it's presented to you, it, it holds this kind of aura of like mystery to it that you kind of you want to find out why things are the way they are in this film like it's very interesting and and it's 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 kind of a fascinating sort of ambiguous experience with this with tenant it's like a convoluted milky mess where none of it was intentionally ambiguous it was just it was it was like a shade attempt at ambiguity but it was or ambiguity and uh it it just comes across like like it was made by people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about or what they're doing. Well, the way I think that it was conceived was that it was intentionally made to just be hard to figure out. I'm going to, here's a puzzle. I got a puzzle box. I'm just going to empty it and throw it out, all the pieces out on the floor. But if you're not enjoying what the puzzle, if, if you don't enjoy like what the puzzle is meant to be, be in the first place. You don't then... enjoy the actual process of putting the puzzle together. Yeah. And also... It seems to me like the person who made the puzzle doesn't even know how to solve it. I I would I do not believe for a second that even Christopher Nolan knows exactly how this fits together. It just doesn't I don't I don't get that because if if it and even if he did, it's sort of like a well, whoa, who gives a shit? Because it's not interesting. Nothing about it is interesting. The the whole thing about primer the interesting thing was that that movie propped up the fact that they were time traveling themselves. That was the that was the point of the movie was that they are these two fucking nerds figured out how to make a, a time machine. That is the cool part. That's the interesting part. They made a fucking time machine. It's a time travel story or plot that's on a very small scale. Very small. It's just two engineers who work at some company, right. and in their spare time, they just try and create things in their garage to get patents on them, and hopefully they can sell one, they can quit their jobs and get to do what they really want to do. And they sort of accidentally create a kind of time machine, and they want to use it. It's one of those things where we we, we have to use it because Yeah, I mean, can. you made it. Of course you have to use it. You, you made a time machine. How would you not use it? But... The thing is, is that that movie uh, really emphasizes that, holy shit, there's time travel. In Tenet, in the first 10 minutes, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, there's time travel. Well, and everybody's cool with it, and it's fine. And, like, the main character who had no idea about it is just like, oh, yeah, okay, so, so we're time traveling now? Cool. Well, in Primer, everything is explained sort of about how it works and how the timelines work as as the film goes on, you're sort of figuring it out yeah. at the same time you the characters have to, like, are. pay attention and, and the characters are relaying how they figure it out in some very hard-to-understand engineering speak. But if, but you can follow along with it, at least, and I, I don't think I'm the smartest guy in the world, but Primer, I can understand it, at least on some level. I, I, yeah. I know what they're doing. Even I if I don't understand could. all the mi little minutia of this, with with Tenet, it's not so much that I don't understand as much. It's just I don't care because overall, what everything's leading to, just I don't, I just don't really feel. 
I just felt like I just wasn't invested in it. Well, at there's all. there's nothing there's nothing to like latch onto in this film. Like there's there's nothing to to motivate anybody other than the fact that like there's a bad guy. There's a bad guy and he wants to he's got a bomb. And he's going to use the bomb. He's going to blow everybody up. Why? Why is he going to blow everybody up? Because he's dying of cancer and he's just such a dick that he's going to blow up everybody so that he doesn't have to die alone. And he's that's, a cold and heartless man, we are told. Yeah, we are told. Uh, and if this yeah, is the is world, a, if this is, is the jerk. world that Christopher Nolan lives in, I hope he blows it up so I don't have to f- fucking hear about it ever again. So there's there's a supervillain-esque character who is introduced in like the weirdest fashion and in these sort of fragmented segments where you're not quite sure who he is, what he does, because for one thing, you can't hear what anybody says in this movie. You can't hear any dialogue what's whatsoever. You hear bits and pieces. The movie is incredibly loud, yet still with that, the dialogue delivery and the cadence between lines it's so terribly robotic and underperformed that you can't even get any information out of it mm-hmm. but my point i was trying to make is that there's a villain who wants to blow up the world and everything kill everybody in it that's his goal is to kill the whole world and he has like an army of guys apparently who are all on board too there's the, he's he's like he's like the Cobra Commando. Well, he's a he's he's, a, he's, he's an arms of, dealer. He's some sort of billionaire Russian oligarch of some kind. It's always a Russian oligarch. Yeah, that, that's there's nothing creative. That's super creative of Christopher Nolan to make the bad guys some like heartless Russian dude. And we're told he's the most ruthless arms dealer in the world. So. We don't really ever see him really do anything that ruthless. Because, well, for one thing, it's a PG-13 movie, so you know it sucks. You see him make threats, and... He's mean to his wife. He's abusive to his wife, and... Yeah, they show... That's emphasized quite a bit. So you got a level of issues here, not just with the soundtrack just being omnipresent and just incredibly just... It's just so up its own ass, too. Just so overbearing. So up its own. You thought the you, you thought like the what what is it the the James Horner or or, or who is whoever uh, did Hans the, Zimmer Hans Zimmer fucking horn the blah. if you thought that shit from Inception was annoying, they basically do like a remix of that throughout the entire film where the wah is is just repeated over and over and over again in mm-hmm. in, in in like short succession. So it's just like, oh yeah, remember that really annoying thing? Let's do it like a thousand times more. <laughs> yeah, it it kind of hampers the the engagement for me with a lot of the action sequences. One thing I think we both just rolled back with laughter at one point. Sort of one, there's one big action set piece sort of earlier on in the film, which involves a. Uh, a jumbo plane being rammed into a building for no reason. Their, their plans are retarded. Their plans are so stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what I'm saying is the soundtrack. It's especially it's, Oh yeah. It's especially, well, I mean, any loud and dramatic during that part, those big set pieces where they, yeah. Cause there's a, there's a scene he's talking about where they, 
they ran a plane into it. And I feel like Christopher Nolan thinks that these scenes are like his bread and butter. He thinks that like, he thinks that these thing, these scenes, similar to the scene with uh, the Joker uh, and Batman in the car chase, and Joker is leaning the rocket launcher out of the semi. Just that whole sequence where, like, where the Batmobile changes into several different types of Batmobiles and Bat cycles and Bat planes, and I feel like Christopher Nolan to himself is like, that's what I nail. That those those are my scenes. And and there it's 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 the most unwarranted. These scenes are the most unwarranted throughout the entire film. They don't make any sense why they are so insanely destructive or huge. There's nothing that points to it. There's no finesse anywhere. It's just let's oh we need to we need to rob we need to go into this place and we need to steal something. Well, let's not do it like this covert operation. Let's just fucking blow up the whole building and then we'll find the piece later. Yeah, he likes to do stuff like that. He likes to do stuff like he was flipping semi trucks in Dark Knight, and then he did the thing with the with the plane heist in Dark Knight Rises, I believe, at the beginning. And then he he wants to he the thing about I, I think one common trope of him. And I was actually writing some of these down. I was trying to think of I was trying to spot all the Nolan tropes right throughout this whole thing. Now you're it, talking about suit changes. There's all the tropes are in here. Yeah. All of them. And I did write down, I jotted down how many times the lead actor changed his suits. And there was at least a dozen times. <laughs> it kind of sticks to one article uh, outfit towards the end of the film. So I kind of stopped jotting them down. But yeah, earlier on, it was earlier just, on. Uh, it's like every scene, he's got a brand new different kind of suit. And you know, Christopher Nolan spent an ungodly amount of time picking those fucking suits out. Oh, undoubtedly. <laughs> so that's and most of the budget too. So that's definitely a big trope. I mean, the opening sequence of this of this film is full of is got layers of Nolan. And you were right. Here. Michael Caine was only in the movie for for like half a scene. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was only in the movie for half a scene, and it was it was the funniest fucking thing because it was just it was like uh, the guy, the main character. He was trying to pull a James Bond type thing where he was incredibly, he was trying to play himself incredibly confident and sort of command the room. But the actor that played the protagonist in, in, uh, in a uh, tenant is really bad. He's, he's awful. He's so fucking bad. It's, it's, it's his delivery, his performance. Everything. I know it's a Nolan film, so he's already handicapped to an extreme degree on everything because Nolan makes everybody do worse except for Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger is the only one who was able to break through the mucous membrane of Nolan and actually deliver a good performance. Uh, everybody else is hampered by him because everybody else needs a director to prop them up and make them do good. Uh, Heath Ledger does not need such such, such civilian such peasant level things like he is a god amongst men and can operate in any situation he's a fucking green beret of actors but the main character in 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 tenet he comes in and like kind of like faux commands the room like there's a scene where he has to just meet with michael kane for like a second get some information and he orders a steak 
and they bring it out to him and he's like oh and then he's got to leave so he's like hey box that up for me <laughs> and it's just this stuff like that like little things like it doesn't sound like that bad but it's just one of those things where it's like god this guy sucks like what like he never meant first of all as somebody who is close to the restaurant industry he never meant to eat that fucking food mm-hmm. he never meant to eat that food i'm pissed about it he never <laughs> meant to eat that food okay he ordered it out of some like sort of posturing fucking peacocking move um and uh they just had to they basically just threw it away after that i thought they just thought that was bullshit yeah, were you also pissed off when they had that uh, little that little fight in the kitchen there, ruining all that stuff? Oh, yeah, no, they're in the kitchen, knocking over all the pots and pans. It was horrible. Those chefs are in there working their fucking asses off, trying to get the service done, and these, there's just these Russian guys in leather jackets fighting each other, and it's, it's bullshit. You take that shit outside. Because, you know, like, they're not cleaning that up. They're not cleaning it up. I, that, that's me. I got to stop cooking my fucking chicken breast and go over there, and I got to sweep up all that glass. And that sucks. I did like that one bald henchman goon of the A lot of goons in this movie. A lot of villains, yeah. But I just like how he kept on getting a lot of screen time. And you never know who the hell this guy is. Yeah, there's like a main goon. There's like main goon who... The hitman-looking guy? Yeah, the hitman... But he's like a hitman after recovering from a meth addiction. He's got like that that sort of chicken neck kind of I live in a trailer type of situation. But I, I think that just means you're Russian. I'm not sure. But he keeps kind of showing up as like the main henchman and everything. We never know anything about him. He's just kind of there. And it's so indicative of the rest of the film because we don't know anything about any of the characters. Any of them. Any of them. There's nothing to learn about anybody. There's nothing interesting about anybody. Uh, Robert Pattinson tried his fucking damnedest. He tried. I can tell he tried. Oh, you can tell because he's naturally charismatic. Yeah. So he was working with... He was my favorite part about the whole movie. I mean, he usually is. I am a huge Robert Pattinson fan. And uh, I think that, you know, obviously, you know, not like the Twilight era stuff. I'm not like a fan of Twilight movies or anything like that, but just the fact that he bounced back from those movies so hard and made some amazing movies, that's why I'm a huge fan of his. Um, He really, like, was the only charismatic thing in the whole film, for me. Like, he was the only one that excluded any sort of sense of, I know what I'm doing, I'm I'm the action man thing. I would have rather it had been about him or at least a character with his level of, of charisma than, than, than that other guy who was just a fucking robot the entire time. No emotion, nothing. Just no, no ties. We don't learn anything personal about... What is, we don't learn anything personal about the main character at all. That's one of my main... There's no arc. That's one of my main problems is the movie opens with this sort of undercover operation of some kind. They're trying to go some team of some... I guess they're CIA, CIA or something, right? I don't even know. Okay, well I'm just gonna <laughs> say I'm just gonna say they're CIA. It's never said. And they're going to stop this heist that's going on. These guys are coming the, in. These and, guys are about to go and rob this uh, viol- this like uh, violin recital. Yeah, you know. Apparently, you can do that. Apparently, you can just rob an opera. Yeah, they're just tearing the place up. They're stomping on all the cellos for no reason. There's, there's no, <laughs> there's nothing like. I mean, I understand, and, and at least in the Dark Knight, it starts out with them robbing a bank. A bank has money in it, at least. 
it starts out with the same it's, it starts out exactly like the dark knight the same exact thing it starts out with a like a heist kind of situation but the heist takes place at like some shitty local opera in russia or, or ukraine or something like that and i'm just wondering why well th- that's a it begins with a, a kind of a combination of of nolan tropes kind of getting back to that a little bit which is that it opens with sort of a, an action set piece that's sort of supposed to set things in motion, I guess. And it's got a bunch of guys and tactical gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I mean, when it first started, I, I was like, okay, this looks kind of cool. I'm into this. This is some Rainbow Six shit right here. I'm kind of down with this. Yeah. Let's, all, right, I got, all right, let's keep it going. Storming yeah. a building, moving through the hallways. Yeah, clear. Pointing their guns up all around, doing the... Doing doing the hand signal shit, yeah. Nodding back and forth, yeah. Shit's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm down for that whenever for sure. You know, and then it's got the Nolan trip of uh, people getting shot, but there's no there's uh, no blood and there's no. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, I don't remember anybody getting shot. At, at least, like there was one or two people that got shot. Uh, a couple of the main kind of characters uh, take a bullet, but. Nobody, there's no like civilian casualties really in this, in this, in this, uh, in, in this film, especially that was a that... strange thing because there's this crowd of, well, they released this gas in there that's supposed to, yeah, the, the tactical team who's going into like fort the, fort the, the guys who just seem to want to just take a bunch of guns into an opera and shoot them at the ceiling for some reason. And they go in there and they, they 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 put a bunch of like knockout gas and like just like knock out the the crowd that's in there, so that they don't, so so, so that they can't get up and leave. Well, I think they're trying to knock out the they're trying to knock out the the bad guys and they too, don't because they have the gas masks right because and they, and they don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> like the bad guys, the only people that they knock out are people sitting in the chairs who just I mean obviously this is nitpicking but like. You know, usually when there's guys with guns in the room, you really want to get people out of that room. I think the last thing I'd want to do is knock out a couple hundred people and have them totally immobile sitting in chairs, you know, while there's a gunfight going on around them. By some miracle, none (laughs) of the people, or at least we're not shown, but as far as I can tell, it's implied that none of the people in the audience get shot. You see some squibs go off around the chairs. Yeah, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe they were just, maybe it was just a prank, bro, and they were just all using blanks, and it was just a funny prank going in there, and just, I mean, it was funny. They did they did go up behind that nerd, and they busted his cello. Yeah. Now, if this was a, <laughs> if this was a film made by a different director, someone whose films aren't always so bloodless, I... I guess if you got Paul Verhoeven to come in and direct this movie, I don't know <laughs> because be I don't see the because here's the thing is that I don't see the point of the movie. I don't understand what it did or is trying to do. I don't I don't understand. It was it's 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 just another thing that Nolan is susceptible to, which is gimmicks. It's a gimmicky thing. It's just like him and fucking Memento. Like, usually directors, when they come out of film school, they make a kind of a weird gimmicky film in the very beginning of their career. Or, or they make something that kind of is, like, a little bit, like, cheesy or corny. But it's their first movie out of film school, and they're just sort of flex. They're just sort of stretching out and flexing and seeing what they can do. And uh, you really, you can't judge them on, on, on the first film out of when they first come out of school. And 
Christopher Nolan uh, has not grown as a director. He's only gotten more money to do bigger, more fucking blow up your films. He hasn't, he's only, I, I just don't feel like intellectually he has progressed at all. He, he, he makes movies like a child. He's just getting the means to make bigger and bigger sort of set pieces and just polishing his stuff up even more and buying more suits, filming big open scenes and exotic or yeah, fancy he, locations. I mean, I'm sure the number one thing he looks forward to in making a, a film is like excuses for going to different places around the world that he wants to visit. Like, oh, I've, I, I really want to go to Morocco and see the see the race cars, and so he's gonna do a scene there, and it's gonna be a scene that did not need to be a sweeping shot. Like you remember that scene where that where the main chick is on the balcony, that crazy cliff balcony, looking over the ocean, and they say like two lines to each other. Oh yeah, it's like the most pointless scene ever, where it's like the lines they say are not heavy at all. Like usually when you have a big, so, so she comes out onto the balcony of this, like built into the side of a cliff mansion and the balcony overlooks this huge cliff that goes all the way down the ocean. And the camera is out kind of free floating over the balcony, looking at her. So it's this grand sweeping, insane, beautiful wallpaper shot. And the guy just comes up and is just, is just like, like, yeah, we're going to, we're gonna get that guy. Don't worry. Or, or yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna. I, I don't know what he said. He can't fucking hear anything anybody says, so I don't even know what he said. But he says like two lines to her, and I'm like, how much did that fucking scene cost? Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> I just thought to myself, that looks nice. Yeah, I was like, that looks sweet. This, this you know, place in Italy or somewhere. Yeah, it was some like you know Malt Maltivian Maltese coast or something like that, but. I just I just love the fact that it's like oh yeah you know we're just going here we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go to this fucking amazing Gulf Coast thing and and Christopher Christopher really wants to try on some nice sun hats here he wants to buy a sun hat from here and so I guess we'll shoot a scene he really wanted to do some boating yeah I guess we'll shoot a scene while we're here yeah oh yeah and let's let's have like some weird scene of just like a boat race there's a lot of scenes of different boats going out into the water there's a lot of boats if you're if different you are shapes a, and size if boats. you are a boat official if you are a beautiful boater and you're a boat aficionado then you will absolutely love this film i mean probably won't you'll probably hate it but you will appreciate the amount of boat that is in this yeah you got all kinds of them you got There's sailboats several different kinds you got of boats. motor boats you, you got, got those got racing boats kind of yachts, things you got, i don't know what those are called but but they're like got these other big uh, vessels. You got like more like yeah, like, like you got like military style vessels. Yeah, it, it is boat heavy. You got the mother base boat. You got all <laughs> that shit. Yeah, you were actually uh, you said something. <laughs> thing. This is a very like this is like if Hideo Kojima directed a movie. This is kind of what it would be like. Yeah, in a I'm way. So Although I think it would be better because at least Hideo Kojima, even though his stories don't make any fucking sense. And overall, I don't think that's a good thing. People seem to think that that's a good thing. I'm like, yeah, they don't make any sense because they're not thought out very well. He's good at the mechanics of making a video game. He's good at he's good at the overall playing of the game. But when it comes to the story, he's Hideo Kojima's stories are are dog shit. 
I love his characters, and I love the characters, like, you know, the designs of the characters and the personalities of the characters, but the actual plots to his stuff is horrendous. And this is like, this movie is like a Hideo Kojima story without any of the interesting characters or interesting, you know, sci-fi stuff or like any of the cool shit that happens in, in those get in the metal gear games or anything like that. This is like all just the convoluted nightmare. That's all you get. I check out a little bit with Hideo Kojima a bit because he has this very convoluted and intricate way of telling a story, which if you really break it down, the story is super basic there's a hero who's chosen for some reason to stop the end of the world or from a someone or something from taking over the world and this guy's bad and this guy's good and then he's got to find a way to just sort of fill in the blanks and make it all complicated for hardly any reason and i think that's kind of the same thing with tenet i gathered pretty early on that oh he's joining this group they're called tenet they oh really is that what it was they know about the future i didn't even know that and, was what it was <laughs> and they're trying to stop the end of the world from happening or something world war three no they said they said they said uh they said it was worse than world war three or worse it, it was like worse than nuclear holocaust yeah he was like what are we trying to stop a nuclear holocaust and she's like worse and i'm like i don't know if there's anything worse than a nuclear holocaust i think that that's like the end result is the same. All of humanity would be wiped out. Like, I'm just—I know it's nitpicky, but it's like that's sort of the the very end of the spectrum of like the worst thing that could, you know, plausibly happen to us. It's something to do with some scientist hundreds of years in the future, I guess, creating some kind of algorithm. That you keep mentioning the algorithm, and I just kept thinking of like fucking Silicon Valley the entire time. Oh, <laughs> like some scientists yeah. figured out a compression algorithm that's so good it's going to destroy the whole fucking world. Yeah. It's going to make the world a better place. But what if it doesn't? Yeah. So it becomes sentient. They make these references to Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project and how Oppenheimer was being a little bitch about the nuclear weapon creation. I mean, kind of, I mean, come on. Yeah, he kind of was at the time. Such a nerd. He was just being like, <laughs> I made a big bomb. Every time I see an Oppenheimer quote, there's always these famous quotes by him that get oh, passed and Truman, around. And Truman fucking hated him, too. He was I so taught sick of myself, I taught myself how to read Sanskrit in six months. That's how much of a genius I am. And here's a cool quote from this old text. You know, now I become death, destroyer of worlds. And you know he probably spent a lot of time beforehand preparing to say that quote now he said it in a mirror at least a couple of times rehearsing it yeah rehearsing it and stuff so yeah. when the big day comes he can go hey guys i got yeah. a cool i got a cool yeah, no, he was fucking, thing to say he was full of himself you know he's a brilliant man but he was he was fucking he was just such a such a dork about everything yeah but uh <laughs> that's our brief hacksaw episode about open yeah what a fucking dork um but uh, yeah, man, Einstein wasn't as much of a bitch as Einstein was. Yeah, he was hella cool. He just, I mean, that guy, he was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna take a nap." Einstein got ladies. You Hell know, yeah. Einstein oh, got Einstein. Puss. Einstein fucked. Einstein definitely fucked. Yeah, oh, all the time. You know that tongue. 
He was all up in that shit. I predict Oppenheimer was more of a Frank Grimes, like uh, from The Simpsons yeah. kind of character. <laughs> he walks into his office and everything has to be all like he yeah. turns his mug just the right way. So Some, it's somebody facing. moved his stapler to like like a quarter inch and he's just like in there, like oh my god! He's got his measuring <laughs> Who tape out. Who is in my office? Yeah, he's got his measuring tape out, just going. Hey, wait a second. He's like double D labeling everything in his fucking in his office. This moved <laughs> a millimeter to the right. <laughs> Who cleaned this place? Frank Grimes, or Grimy, as he liked to be called <laughs> by his friends. <laughs> oh God! Uh, is there? So, is there? Any, yeah. So, so we're talking. I was talking about boats, right? Yeah. We we're let's get back to boats. I want to get back to boats. I want to get back to Kojima. All right. Okay. So, I was going off on something there. Yeah, he's telling just like a basic story, right? But he's got a in. Nolan is like is like Kojima a little bit in this way and that but he's got to find a way to make it this this complex mind puzzle that he wants people to solve. Yeah, he wants people to do like what they did with Primer and there with Primer there is a whole kind of community created around the film that people would post charts and timelines and they would sort of attempt to help everybody uh to understand kind of the entire the, the true complexity the true beautiful complexity of the film and how the, it, it went much deeper than people thought it did and with this i feel like nolan was trying to do something similar he was trying to do something to where he was trying to create something that would buzz around and people would talk about in terms of like what they thought happened and how they thought the timelines were and blah 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 the only thing is that there's no motivation to do that <laughs> at all. This this film, it, it's so obstructively bad that you just kind of want to forget about it. I, I don't ever want to watch another Christopher Nolan movie the rest of my life. This is it. I'm doing we're doing I'm doing this as as like a professional thing to talk about it. I, I when I first heard about this, I I I just kind of snorted. And I was like, okay, great. This is going to suck. And it did, which means that, you know, you're probably safe to say that anything else he makes in the future is going to suck just as bad, if not worse, because I feel like he's getting worse. Yeah, well, this film, like many of his other films, is really centered around the premise of it, which is about time inversion, kind of like how Inception is about dreams merging with reality. Yeah, it's dreams within dreams within dreams. Yeah, it's like layers. Like an yeah, onion. what if we could share dreams to That would be terrifying and probably really gross. Mm-hmm. You probably see a lot of gross things that you didn't want to see. Yeah, and then there's this technology in the world of the film that allows the characters to, to mess with that premise or to do something with that premise, I, I mean... Yeah. And with, yeah, with Tenet, it's all about this whole concept of time inversion, which is this kind of form of time travel, which is... Yeah, because it's not like directly uh, going back to a certain period. It is, but it's more like just reversing the flow of time. Right. This is something that they really lay onto you pretty thick early on in the movie where the the protagonist the main character he, he's just called the protagonist they it's really dumb they they state this at least a couple 
times. So we're just going with that. But yeah, he visits, he sees this one, he meets this one scientist woman who's just there to kind of tell Yeah, we about. never see her again. Yeah, we never. never see her again either. Yeah. What I thought they were going for was that the protagonist was not aware of any of this type of stuff before, but because of his kind of performance and how he, um, you know, sort of uh, performed in the very beginning where he was able to, I guess, successfully solve that thing that happened in the very beginning with the, the heist of the orchestra thing. Was, I feel like he didn't, though. I feel like he kind of fucked it up. Oh, yeah, that was all a test. It was a test. Okay, yeah, it was a test. And oh yeah, yeah, because he because he takes the suicide pill. Yeah, he gets ca- he, he gets, gets captured, captured and, and he doesn't give up his team. I guess. Yeah, and... he gets captured and then he gets interrogated and he doesn't give up his team and he he doesn't he doesn't snitch and instead he tries to take the suicide pill and the suicide pill turns out to be a fake one and that was the whole thing. I guess was a test, and which is it's hard to to piece that together because yeah, nothing makes sense. But. Um, <laughs> Then he kind of goes into with the scientist, this Q kind of esque lady, who just shows him like it's like oh one of these bullets is a regular bullet and one of them is a bullet that's been inverted, a bullet that exists that that moves through time in reverse. So that means that he can hold his hand over the bullet and it'll go up into his hand as if he dropped it, but in reverse. Mm-hmm. And he he just does that. It's like fucking magic when it happens and he's just like oh cool all right i get it there's no like whoa like what holy shit it you know this happens sometimes like especially in in other films uh where there there's like aliens and stuff and there's like people who are just like oh yeah okay there's aliens now yeah nobody really like nobody kind of goes huh yeah okay so what kind of metal are these bullets made out of because so how does it work like well there's a specific kind of metal and there's certain arms dealers who deal in certain kinds of metal made with for certain bullet casings and i let's find the guy to track this guy the 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 movie never stops to just let people just act like people for a second the movie never breathes (laughs) the movie never breathes it's like the dialogue is so christopher nolan it's nolan off the charts and the same thing as like it's like that scene in the dark knight rises where uh bruce wayne uh is talking with catwoman at that that ball that gala they're like dancing together and they're just sort of like spitting exposition at each other back and forth in this robotic inhuman way that is every single character interaction throughout the rest of the film i feel like no one had such a just such a packed script he had so many pages of script to cram into it's still a long we didn't movie. Need, we didn't need it's, half that exposition It's a two and a half either. hour long movie. It's kind of like if they're, it's kind of like making a song where you write all the lyrics first. Right. And then you're a, a rock band. Like you go like, all right, we got to make this like a four, four and a half minute long song top. Yeah. So let's get all those, let's figure out a way to cram all those lyrics let's in Let's cram there. like the, the, the 24 paragraphs of lyrics into this like four minute song and we're not R.E.M. Yeah. Or the Manic Street Preachers. Yeah, and you're not one <laughs> of those bands. So you're just like, yeah, it's like, like you have to be specifically going for that uh, in order for that to work. And this this movie was not structured around that at all. So it's you just have these characters cramming, just absolutely stuffing to the brim, like it's you know, like it's fucking Christmas time, 
uh, the day after Christmas and you're like stuffing recycling into your uh, fucking bin to get picked up and you're just stomping on it and stomping on it and just pressing it and you can't even close the whole lid. It's like spilling out the top, but you wheel it out to the curve anyways because you're like, fuck it, those guys get paid to lift this garbage up. If it if it's not all the way in there and not shut, I don't care. Yeah, you know? so everything is just there in service just to move things along and things are constantly just moving along. Yeah. And you kind of know what the end point is going to be. Or at least I kind of thought so early on. I went into this movie pretty blank. I didn't look up any reviews about it. I've seen a couple of the trailers, but the trailers also go out of the way to really not explain any of the plot to you. Well, yeah, because if they, they there's no plot to explain, and, and if they tried to explain anything, it's like it's it's pointless. It's the trailer just mostly pointless. showed shots of the characters, kind of. They showed the money shots. Like they showed the shots of the cars flipping around backwards on the freeway during a that car chase scene. This very anemic kind of car chase scene that was just so boring. It's like, oh, we need to. There's there's like a, a delivery truck with a something in it. I don't know what it is or what it's for. It's never explained why they want it or need it or what why it is what it is. I guess they keep saying the it's got the artifact. The the artifact of what I don't know. I don't know. So what. the scientist person in the future didn't want her thing to be discovered, so she put it in a series of locations in the past in these undiscovered nuclear waste sites or something and oh and and in several different yeah she stored them in the different call of duty maps so if you discover all the dragon balls and put them together then you'll be able to get it all to work and and trigger trigger doomsday it's really so so you have a so you you Hard so you're a scientist out. and you made a you made a bomb that's like worse than a nuclear bomb that's like an antimatter bomb that just vaporizes everybody on the planet and the you knew that it was like you didn't know until after it was done that it was bad you're like oh 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 wait no I shouldn't do that that'd be bad and there's one there's one there's one scene that I thought was so funny was so the main kind of female, the female lead, uh, who is uh, kind of sort of a love, not really a love interest, but kind of a love interest of the main character. It's more of like he's just like protecting her. Doesn't really make like a move on her or anything like that. Well, the guy, she's, there she's, is no sexuality in this entire film. She's the wife, or I guess the estranged wife of the antagonist, who the Russian guy. Right. I think his name is Sater. Sater. Yeah. Right. Some. Yeah. Okay. I think you're right about that. And I think her name was Cat. I would. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know about that. I'm trying to remember the names. I'm trying real hard. It's no. It, it don't. And I um, think that you the, should think you should save that space in your brain for more important things. But um, <laughs> there's a scene where they're explaining to her about the bomb and what it's going to do. And they're like, yeah, it's going to kill all life on the planet. And she's like, oh, no, that means that my son would die, too. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, lady. When I said I said all fucking life, she's like, oh, no, that means it was going to kill my little boy. It's like, Jesus Christ. Yes. 
Yes, it's, that's what it's going to do. <laughs> I think that a lot of people, I think, who are fans of Christopher Nolan are going to give this movie a pass because it's his first movie in a while. It's the first movie to really... It's one of the only movies to really, or at least major movies, to even come out this year at all. I feel like that's less of a pass because if he was making a movie every six months, I would understand. Yeah. But he had he had years to do this. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a good point. This movie will also get a pass by a lot of viewers, especially his fans, just because it's got the things that they like in it. And one of those things is it's got the big set pieces done with practical effects. Not really any, I don't know, man. There's a lot of CG in this, a lot of bad CG. Did you not see all the terrible CG of like, I did see some of it of, of of like the debris falling and the, the, especially towards the end. Yeah. There's a final battle that takes place towards yeah, the end. It's it, this big sort of military. It looks like uh, Call of Duty Four occupation, or not like, occupation, it, but a big military. Yeah, it battle. looks like Xbox 360 graphics for half of it. Like it's it's not good. The the gra- the I, he usually doesn't venture into CG that hard, which is I guess if I had to say one good thing about Christopher Nolan is that is that because I always appreciate. I, I love practical effects over CG any day, any time. It always looks better. Sometimes to achieve certain things, you need CG. But if it's used sparingly and used in like key moments or certain instances, then it works. But for this, like I, I know there is some kind of stuff that looked pretty bad. I don't know. <laughs> like, it, well, in a way, it bothers me a little bit that it was practical effects because I was thinking at the back of my mind during some of the set pieces was... Oh, man, they ruined a perfectly good plane. Oh, they ruined a bunch of really nice cars. They really to did, yeah. This movie. It was like a BMW they flipped over and stuff that was like looked like a pretty nice BMW that they just destroyed for no you know, for no reason really. It's but just... yeah, I, I think that you're right. Some of the CG in this was kind of dodgy, especially towards the end. It had a very unreal engine four kind of I, if, it. I, if it really sticks out and I notice it, then it's bad CG. Right. That's the thing. It's like if you notice it right away and it sticks out, that's that's they did a bad job with it because the best CG out there, because there is some great examples of some good CG, you don't really notice it as much because it's used for very minute things that sort of help the scene flow or help maybe like if you have like a monster character or something like that, it helps it the movements of that character or that, that creature move a little bit smoother or, or more lifelike uh, practical effects sometimes just can't do that. You know, you need that computer generated stuff to, to keep that going. But with this, there was just some stuff that was like, all right, okay. Like, where's, I guess me and Ramirez, have got to fucking secure the burger town <laughs> at the end of, <laughs> at the end of this film right here. Cause it was, it was so bad. And even the set at the end of it, was so stupid. It was. It looked like a airsoft course. It looked like a like a paintball field. Like I swear to God, like back in the day when I used to play paintball, I was like, I played paintball. There's a place that looks just like this, you know, <laughs> out in uh, like out in eastern Washington. There's a place that looks just like this that you can play paintball. The only thing that's missing is like the big black nets that go around it, you know. To, yeah. To bring it back to, it looked like something on a video game. It looked like something out of a Metal Gear Solid Four yeah. Kojima game. It was reminding me of that. Uh, kind of in the beginning of the game where you're 
you're in the Middle East and you're going along this pathway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buildings are scripted to fall down at yeah. certain points or bombs to go off. And it's just, it all felt so orchestrated. It felt so contrived. Like, I don't, when I, when I see a big epic battle scene with like lots of soldiers and shooting and bombs. He and- did use more extras in this, which I, I was surprised. Like I like the fact that he actually hired people to work on his movie this time. Yeah, the pro the thing that's really hard to nail with these action scenes though is like you want things to have a sense of chaos to them. You don't want to notice when certain things are timed to happen. Yeah, even though they obviously are because you got to yeah. film a well, it's, scene. It's the choreography of the action. So some ex- some movies that do this much better, I'd say. Well, of course, there's Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, you know? the opening scene in Saving Private Ryan is a great example because it's you know it's it's or it's totally everything's planned out to a t but it's filmed in a way where it feels chaotic and it feels like anything could happen at any moment it doesn't have this like perfect sort of uh sort of sequence of events like in the end of tenet where it felt like everything was just so perfectly like oh this is gonna blow up right when the character is just far enough away for it not to hurt him this is gonna blow this is this this person is going to cover their assault or or shoot the guys that are coming right out of them right when they are totally defenseless you know like a lot of deus ex machina stuff or or yeah and and it's uh it's all completely contrived and and looks terrible the ending scene is just i felt like was so pedantic like it was so like anemic in a way where it's like there's nothing i don't understand what's writing here i don't understand why anybody's doing what they're doing and then there's like an ambiguous sort of ending to it where robert pattinson's character points to the fact that this is not the first time that he's had to go back in time and stop this bomb from going off that he's going to have to do it again. Like, did you catch all that? Yeah. I don't did know. Did you catch that? I always thought that maybe I was crazy and I was just making up my own plot to the film because that's kind of what I was doing halfway through. I had no idea what was going on ever. So I just started kind of making up my own plot as it going on. Sure. And I was kind of having a little bit of fun with that from the time periods that I was awake and towards the end, I just felt like uh, there was a lot of stuff that he was trying to leave open and ambiguous. And it's like, no, dude, we need something. Can we have something concrete? Well, the like way I, something solid, everything, the way that the time travel works in this movie is sort of centered around that idea of everything that's happened has happened. There's we can't go. It's not one of those things where you can go back and like, change the like future. the parallel universe situation yeah they mentioned this like the grandfather clock paradox it's all about paradoxes right yeah so, so they can't really change but then they said that the, the grandfather thing wasn't real that like the, the grandfather paradox is that if you go back in time and kill your grandpa then you wouldn't exist right because it's a right because it's a paradox yeah but then they're saying that there is this one of the scientists was like oh well that's not true you can totally go back and kill your grandpa yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i was like what why well explain why why is it that because that is a established paradox that's been around forever you're just being like yeah no that's not true in fact you can just do that yeah every i think it, it was all just meant to kind of close the loop of this of the movie a little bit because the uh the robert pattinson character he was actually the one who was recruited i think or recruited he was recruited by the protagonist. Yeah, the protagonist, I guess the twist was the protagonist and yeah, you know, I guess spoilers, but I don't yeah, care. Yeah, whatever. I don't care because don't see this. Don't watch this movie. It's 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 dumb. If you I mean, if you're listening to this because you've already seen it, 
this is more of a support group for you. This is more of a cathartic situation where you just need to know that you're not crazy. You're not crazy. It is a it is a horrible movie. It's not you that can't understand anything. It's not your fault. This movie sucks. But the thing is, is that uh, the whole twist of the movie was that the protagonist thought that he was recruited into this tenant organization. But I guess it turns out that he was like the head of it the entire time. And yeah. it was his timeline was that he his body existed in the timeline from when he first started doing it. But then leaped forward to where the point where he had been doing it for a long time. If this doesn't make any sense, then you're correct because it doesn't. Yeah. But then it appears that he thought that Robert Pattinson's character was the one that was the guy that knew it all. That was the head of the thing. But I guess it was flipped around that it was actually Robert Pattinson that was recruited to the mm-hmm. thing. And uh, if this sounds stupid, it, it is. The end is the beginning is the end is the beginning is the end. And so and so on it goes. God, it's just. I'm gonna be so happy when I can just not ever think about Christopher Nolan ever again. Man, if I could just understand what the hell anyone was saying in this movie, I would have at least. Uh, I would have at least maybe enjoyed it a little bit. Yeah, you're just not going to. When it comes to Nolan and the writing, it's like it's hard to enjoy these things because he doesn't put any sort of like color into his characters. He doesn't put any sort of like, he doesn't make his characters interesting. It's like, they're just conduits that are there to fucking vomit exposition out and move the movie along. It's it. He just, he's like a, he's like a a director. He's sort of like a Michael Bay director, JJ Abrams type director. Everybody sees Christopher Nolan. This is the problem with Christopher Nolan is that people see him on this sort of like highbrow kind of situation, like like the way people think about like David Lynch or they think about um, like Scorsese or something like that. They think about uh, Nolan sort of on that same tier for some reason, and he's not. He's 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 a he's a Michael Bay shitty. I'm gonna make movies for the Chinese director. That he was like in disguise, and it's like he's he's hiding inside this like sort of aura of like of like oh I make I make provocative highbrow films. It's like well for one thing, uh, you made you make superhero movies, and nobody who's highbrow makes fucking superhero movies. Nobody does that. That is a, that is garbage pail situation. Like the only people that are highbrow that make superhero movies are the ones that make the more indie style ones and stuff like Kick Ass and everything like that. Like those are cool but like if you make those mainstream superhero films you're not you're not good at direct you're just you're just a paid you're just a mcdonald's employee <laughs> you're essentially you're a mcdonald's employee of the f- movie film of the film industry like you don't actually make you don't make art you make a product yeah he makes films that are well he his whole brand is i'm gonna make big budget hollywood blockbuster films that are high concept high concept and mostly revolve around a unique premise of some kind a gimmick or a gimmick you could say yeah for sure and i'm just gonna make it all complicated and make it like a a rubik's cube i'm just gonna throw at you and have fun solving it and see you next time for my next trick yeah after you've solved this one the magician (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he thinks he's being so 
crafty when he's putting these scenes oh, together. Oh, he's so yeah. He thinks he's so clever. He thinks he's so fucking like like oh, I really got him this time, didn't I? Uh, and his, his fucking walking stick and his walking cane twirling around and his fucking suit and his hat. Like yeah. Ooh. One thing I'll give Inception over this film, and I'm not a huge fan of Inception, but I'll, it's, one thing it's I'll, a better movie. I would this. rather watch Inception a million times. Oh my Tenet. god! I don't even really like Inception that much. It was okay. I, I I think that Inception is probably one of, I'd say for me, in terms of like this high concept sort of uh, situation, that's probably the most passable movie he has. But one thing I'll give Inception a pass about is kind of like we're talking about the characters are just not really characters. They're more of these vessels that are there to deliver explanatory dialogue back and forth and just service the overall story and, and premise of the whole thing, just get everything from point A to point B in, or just until the end. Right. Yeah. And with inception, I kind of give that a pass because I think they do enough with that premise or gimmick to at least make you want to see the whole thing through and see where it goes with with ten, like they do some interesting stuff with the the dream world and the mechanics of how yeah, the dream world works. Yeah, uh, the concept of it was interesting at least. At least the concept of Inception and, and the premise of, of, of how it operated was interesting enough to hold your attention and want to find out more about it. Have they kind of, have, could they have gone, or could he have gone a bit further with some of those ideas or maybe done things, I think, even more interesting? I think definitely for sure but there were things that are at least memorable in there with tenet one thing i was thinking about the whole time was especially during the set pieces when they have the whole time inversion effect going on with the people moving backwards or things happening backwards mean, like, like a car the, crash or yeah, explosion yeah, 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 yeah. or bullets or guns firing i was wondering does this look cool to you does this look like no. something that you want to keep seeing because the and actual over? the practicality of the actual of 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 the whole concept of the time manipulation doesn't make any sense to me because they're talking about this time manipulation as like a practical means like like a weapon like used in like a military aspect and i just don't see the practical use of it because if for example in the very beginning uh they're talking about how uh, an inverted gun with inverted bullets, like the bullet fires in back into the gun, like the gun catches the bullet back into it. And I'm like, okay, um, if that's all it can do, then it's not good. You know, like it's like, it, that, that, that's not good. The bullet needs to be fired out and hit something. And I just don't understand if, if somebody can just like sort of exist in all these different timelines at once and your enemies can too, and it just seems like this never-ending loop of just, like, every, each side going back in time to do over a battle a different way. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you think that one side is going to have this this technology? In the very beginning, this whole movie is centered around the fact that there's good guys and bad guys that both know how to use the time manipulation. So how is that pragmatic at all if both sides have it? You know, I was thinking maybe, like... I understand from like a military standpoint, you can like essentially, according to their logic, you can have the battle and know how it ends and then go to a different timeline and then do the battle differently to where you win. 
they did this they did this much better in another movie that came out like a while ago four or five years ago it was remember that movie that was uh that had tom cruise and like emily blunt in it it was uh an oh, alien yeah. invasion i think it was called uh not edge like, of tomorrow edge of tomorrow live die repeat yes. or something that one that movie was actually awesome where they kept doing the same yeah day over and over where they keep yeah, losing like, this battle like, it was that, like a groundhog day thing situation yeah where each time he went through the same battle over and over again he got better at it and he learned and memorized kind of what would happen and where the enemies were and like he memorized all the different events that movie was actually great i thought it was awesome um, I was just trying to think very, of other... It was a very interesting concept, and it was it was it was uh, it was executed very well. And they yeah. didn't. But the thing is, is that like that movie worked because they had one concept of what the time manipulation rule set was, and they stuck to it the entire time. With this, it's like I feel like it it never had any sort of hard barriers or boundaries throughout it. So you could kind of do whatever you want or like anything is sort of like possible within this, the parameters of the rules of the time manipulation and tenant that I was like, okay, so that means, so there are certain scenes where you can have people that are moving back in time and also moving forward in time at the same time. And then you can have scenes where everybody's moving back in time or everybody's moving forward. And it's like, well, do can they all just exist at the same time or can only do one thing at a time. It's like, there's no, there's no rules to like sort of guide everything. And the reason why that's important is that the rules help the audience sort of anticipate kind of what is possible within the universe of the, of the movie. Like it, it it's, it's, it helps the, that's why in like horror movies, for example, like the monster or the ghost or whatever like that, it has a set of rules that it follows, you know? And if you go against that, that's when it gets you. You know, like Freddy Krueger, for example, like if you if you are awake, he can't get you. I went into this movie trying to be optimistic or at least trying to be open minded. I didn't want to go into it knowing I was going to hate it, even though at the back of my mind, I knew I would. I wanted to go in and just be like, hey, it's first time back at the movies. Let's let's enjoy. Right. Yeah. But the movie doesn't let you enjoy it because you can't the movie doesn't let you understand what's going on. And I think that we walked out of it so frustrated because we were thinking, like, are we are we stupid? Are we just... I just wanted to get the fuck out of there as quickly as possible. Because... I was like, I, I this makes me <laughs> just hate being in the movies. Like, I, like the first time back to the, to, the, to the theater in a long-ass time, you know, there was, like, maybe, like, four other people in the theater with us. Mm-hmm. Spaced out, spaced out pretty good, so... It was there was no like you know worry about that, but I just I just felt like man what a shitty way to come back to the movies. The only thing I could say that was a plus is that because eventually theaters will be bankrupt and be done. I mean for at least for a little while. I don't know how they're gonna keep going now. Um, there's nothing out. Tenant is the only thing that's that's out right now. There is there is nothing else going on. Um, Every other movie that's being released right now is essentially an extended fuck you. It's January. It's all the movies that they never wanted to release during like summertime or any sort of like high, uh, you know, high profitable time of the year. It's all like the garbage, you know, B movie crap that they never wanted to release. They're releasing all those right now. And there's a, there's just, there's no reason to go to the movies right now at all. There's none. 
<laughs> the only, but I guess what I was trying to say is that the, the good thing is, is that the tickets are so fucking cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like nine bucks to see a, a movie at, at our at a, the theater that we went to the theater that is usually the more expensive one. Usually it's at least twice that much. Yeah, it's the more expensive theater uh, next to the mall. And it's uh, it's usually that's the pricier one. There are other theaters around that are generally cheaper, but we went to the expensive one. And even that was like, holy shit, it was like nine bucks for a movie ticket. That's that's insane. Right. And. Yeah, it's just kind of a shame because I thought to myself, what is this? What if this is the last movie just ever? Oh, they just go out on like a whimper with Tenet. Or at least this is the last theatrically released movie ever. Of course, they're going to still make movies. Well, but, yeah, that's, that's not what I'm saying. What but I'm talking about just, the, tr- the what, traditional theater experience. Yeah. Obviously, there's still movies that are going to come out. There's the new Wonder Woman thing. And there's some other movies that are yeah. still that got finished that are going to be put out. They've been, there's been movies that were like supposed to be released like Tenet, but are on hold or eventually, I think those movies will just be moved to streaming. But yeah, the, the release schedule is just getting thinner and thinner to the point where, yeah, it's just, it's just I just think that, really you know, left. look, going back to what I said earlier about like all movie theaters should be burnt down to the ground. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that, look, you can have them, but just make all the movies that would come out in theaters available on streaming too, because there's a reason why people go to the movies. It's not entire, and, and it used to be just to see the actual movies because we didn't have streaming, we didn't have all that stuff like that. So in order to see these movies um, and not have to wait, you know, several months for them to come out on VHS or DVD or like that. Well, it was only over the last decade or so that yeah. home theater setups started to get pretty good, or yeah. at least on a level that they could compete with well, the theater a, experience. Yeah, and also, like, on an affordable level, too. It's like, yeah. it, it doesn't cost thousands of dollars to get a, a TV and, like, a sound bar. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's not that bad. It's also, you know, not most internet and everything right now can support, like, 4K and stuff like that. So, you have the opportunity to watch a super high-res or high-def, you know, have, like, a full movie experience at, at, in your own home. And you don't need the theater. The reason why the theater is is what it has going for it is the sound system and the big screen and, you know, the whole just like tradition sort of nostalgia. At this point, the nostalgia, because that's all it's kind of riding on now anymore is just the tradition of we all go to the movies. Like, that's just like something to do, something to get out of the house and go do. It's like, well, you're sitting at home watching TV all day, what you should do is get out of your house to go to another building and sit down and watch TV on a bigger TV. That's what we should do. And I think that that nostalgia can only hold up for so long. You know, that's why those theaters, like, like we have like the, the, like the boozy theaters that you can buy, you can get drinks and food in. They, they, they do so much better than anything else. Cause at least it's like, you know, if we're going to go to a bar or something like that, like, let's go see a movie we want to go see, you know, and get fucking wasted doing it. I mean, that's sounds like a much better idea than, you know, sitting in shitty fucking gum ridden chairs. Yeah. Ears blown out by Christopher Nolan. Well, especially as an adult. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of with you on that. Kind of like what I said earlier, I like there just to be options. I like the option of going to see a movie in theaters, but also seeing it at home. And I like there to be both. It's not going to be the end of the world for me if movie theaters no. disappear. And but The reason I why I think it's a good thing, though. hope it doesn't end with Tenet. I hope so, too. But I think the reason why I think it'd be a good thing to end it 
is because of the way that theaters are causing mo- the, the the way theaters are influencing how movies are being made because Christopher Nolan is the number one perpetrator of this right now. Um, obviously other people like JJ Abrams and, and Michael Bay are on a similar grain, but movies are becoming, and we've talked about this before, but movies are becoming less movies and more amusement park rides, more of a, more of a, yeah, like, like a whole, like, sit in your chair and it's like an experience it's not you're not just seeing a film you're experiencing the film and that's why it's so fucking loud and that's why it's like that's why they make these movies with these huge set pieces and stuff because it's designed to be seen in imax with the fucking massive sound system and everything like that it's supposed to be like like an actual amusement park ride and i think that the only reason why movies are like that is because number one you pay way more money at a theater to see a movie than you would pay on Amazon to rent it. And then again, and then you got to go and get your fucking $10 bottle of water and your $15 small popcorn. And that's just all, you know, that's how they make their money. And that's honestly how the film companies make their money too. For the most part is, is in those box office numbers. That's when the, that's the big scratch. That's the big dough that comes in. And when that doesn't do good, usually the movie flops. Maybe what we'll see is a change in Hollywood film production, which is that instead of several movies coming out a year that cost two hundred plus million dollars, maybe we'll have a larger amount of medium to smaller budget films come out and replace that whole format. You know, well, that's kind of what Netflix does. Because as a result of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the DC movies and all that all that stuff that's been, or all the Disney remakes and everything else that's been put out is, it just seems like movie studios are concentrating on just getting these things to be successful because they usually are, and it's it's a system that really works for them. So the mid-budget film is slowly disappearing, but you're right, because on streaming services like Netflix and Amazon Prime, there, I think these smaller projects are starting to find a home on there, and are also getting more people to watch them as well. Because yeah. and you need that amount of content too to keep a site like that up and going. I mean, maybe you don't. I could see somebody arguing that there's too much. Um, I totally understand that argument. There's been some interesting things that have come out recently too. That's starting to that started to shift my mind over to that too. Cause there was this new Charlie Kaufman movie that came out that was really interesting and I really enjoyed. And I was watching this going, there's no way this movie would have been a big hit in theaters. And right. Another example would be like, there was a Netflix, there's a David Lynch film that came out in the last year or so. That's just a 30 minute short film of it's him in black and white talking to a monkey. <laughs> and I was just thinking, this is cool because I don't think this would exist or be shown much in theaters. Or I don't think I'd see it anywhere. Yeah, no. I mean, I think that that's, that's, the, that's the thing is that, like, people don't really consume, like, like that media like that, in, like, like what we used to do. You know, we like things to be in, like, sort of, like, bite-sized chunks for the most part. That's why, like, you know, YouTube, for example, it's like you could spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on YouTube just watching video after video after video. But you can spend, like, five hours watching YouTube videos, but if somebody said, hey, I want to watch this two-hour movie, you'd be like, oh, fuck that. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Like, I'm not going to sit for two hours and watch something. Like, ugh. You know? 
but the thing is is that uh um i think that streaming offer has so much more to offer and really a lot of those things they just need that niche audience for it to be successful mm-hmm. a lot of those things don't need huge box office numbers to like show their their success and stuff like that like you you could just have david lynch talking to a monkey for 30 minutes and that probably cost next to nothing in terms to make but if it makes a little bit of money on on uh come on netflix or amazon or something like that then it's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna make its money back and it's gonna allow him to do more stuff you know like that's fine i I think that that's a better model to run by and you should really just have the option of seeing these films uh at home versus at the theater and the reason why i don't think that that won't happen is because christopher nolan relies on the fact that his movies are so fucking loud and everything's drowned out that he hide he tries to hide how bad his movie is in the theater. Well, he's a traditionalist. He wants to only shoot on film. He only wants films to be seen in theaters and he wants to the films to be seen in the in the environment that he just kind of made the film centered around which is now or has been in recent years all around IMAX and having that that huge sound system just constantly just blaring things just at you. All the way the bar is all the way to the top and it is solid red. So he has two choices at this point. One is just stop making movies because theaters are likely not coming back to the way they used to be. Yeah. Or two adapt and start thinking about the smaller screen when it comes to making your next project. Because I don't think that he would make it to the smaller screen. Because the reality is, is that's how most people are going to be viewing your stuff from now on. It's sort of like if you're a web designer these days and you only design your website to be viewed on big desktop screens. Yeah. And you don't consider, you don't consider mobile, mobile devices at all. Yeah. And then you end up with this, maybe this beautiful site that works great on your giant monitor. And then you try and use it on your phone or tablet and it's just nothing fits. Yeah. You can't so navigate properly. So it's overlapping everything. And it just, yeah, it's like all the drop down menus. You have to scroll endlessly or all around to find where to click or something like that. And I think that's ultimately his fate. And as far as I can tell, Tenet, really wasn't a hit like i said at the beginning it just got released oh, it, to a resounding it, kind it of flopped myth. it flopped totally flopped the people who like christopher nolan films are already gonna already gave it positive reviews and just ate it up and everybody else was just like uh, i think most people just don't just don't care i think that most people just straight up don't have an opinion on it because most people just didn't fucking see it and nobody cared well I want to wrap this one up here. Oh, I think for sure. th- I think that uh, at the end at the end of at the end of our days here, Christopher Nolan will, if he refuses to adapt, he'll just maybe make another one or two movies, and he'll just make it for himself. He'll watch it by himself in his own theater <laughs> in a full suit. In a full suit. Yeah. Just just uh, drinking fancy drinking a fancy uh, Chardonnay or champagne, mm-hmm. eating baby carrots. I don't know why, but. He's eating baby carrots. He just gets that one last theater that he, before all the theaters get demolished, he just gets that one last theater. I honestly don't think that he gives a shit. Maybe not. I don't think that he cares. 
yeah, he gets to make whatever he wants and just puts his middle finger up at you, or at least at us. He puts and, his middle finger up, then he makes you suck it. And then we just got to keep sucking it yeah. for two and a half hours or however long the movies are. Yeah. And we've, we've, both, we've both had enough. So we're not going to do a part three on Christopher Nolan. We're not going to do anything else. Nah, it's over. It's done. You know, I think we got it we're all covered. Taking the finger out of the mouth, and you know we're we're fine. We're we're done. You know you're a little bitch. You know, you're a little bitch, and I I bet you like to suck it too, don't you? <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, if you got any questions or comments, uh, hit us up at hacksawpodcast at gmail We have a uh, Facebook page up right now, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, is that just a hacksaw podcast on yep. there? Yeah, just uh, at ha- a hacksaw podcast. That's where you'll find us there. You can get updates on our next episodes. You can also uh, write. You can also write comments to us or send us messages on there as well, of course. And then also feel free to check us out on YouTube. That's also just a hacksaw podcast. We upload all the episodes there. And check us out on Spotify. Yeah, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts google podcasts uh we might put it on some other formats uh when we get around to it when we get around to it of course all right well signing off have a good one see you guys